Ooh, hey, uh, I'm excited to be here with you tonight. It's been an incredible night so far, and I've loved this series that we've been in and really looking forward to uh, delivering what I believe God's given me specifically for tonight. So we're going to have a good time. I want to say welcome if it's your first time here. So glad you chose to hang out with us. Realize you had a ton of options, but I believe you chose the best one. Amen. Somebody say amen. Hey, before we get into it tonight, I want to uh, just give kind of two little announcements, things that I want to remind you of. The first is this. If you are going uh, to Guatemala or if you just have an interest in going to Guatemala, if, if you want to know more information, we're, we're taking, by the way, we're taking a trip to Guatemala spring break of 2019. I believe it's March 2nd through the 9th. It's a GGC spring break, so we're going to go to Guatemala on a mission trip. It's going to be unbelievable. I went last year with a group of people from here. It was fantastic. So we're going back. So if you have an interest, we're doing an interest meeting on September 30th from 2.30 to 4 o'clock right here in this room. And it's just an opportunity for you to come learn more about it and so that you can decide if that's something that you want to jump into. Um, I don't think you really need it. I think you should just jump into it. But for those of you that are unsure, uh, you can come to an interest meeting September 30th. It's a Sunday uh, right after the 1 o'clock service right here at 2.30. It's going to be incredible. And then uh, the second thing I want to let you guys know about is the prayer night, or I believe Alex already mentioned it at the beginning of the service, but a lot of you weren't here yet. The prayer night, um, our church is doing a night of prayer, like all campuses, all adults, children, everybody coming together for a night of prayer right here at this campus in the big room. And so uh, that's going to be on a Thursday night. So we're going to cancel our service and then just jump in and be involved in that. So whether you go to 12 Stone on Sundays or you don't, we'd love to have you. Uh, we are anticipating that that's going to, like, be a packed room in there, and so we've got to have you sign up to go. Um, it's not doesn't gonna, not going to cost you anything. Doesn't cost anything, but you just got to sign up because uh, we are anticipating that it's going to be a full house. So that's in two weeks, not next Thursday, but the Thursday after that, and we're going to jump in and be involved in that. It's going to be a powerful, powerful night. So um, it's going to be great. But we're here tonight, right? So let's get the most out of tonight. We talked last week about the calling of being a follower of Jesus. And what does it look like? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Because Jesus didn't come just to call people to believe. He called people to follow. In fact, if you read the scriptures, what he said to his disciples was, come follow me. It's a calling to follow, not just a calling to believe. And so uh, I want to kind of expand on that thought of what does it mean to follow Jesus? How can we know that we are a follower of Jesus? What are some of the marks of people who say they follow Jesus? And so tonight, I want to look in Scripture in 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's in the very back of the Bible in the New Testament, a little tiny book. And forgive me, I don't know the page number. If you get there in the Worship Center Bible, yell it out to me, the page number. 1230? Let's go. If you're in the Worship Center Bible, page 1230. I'm going to read a little passage of Scripture, but would encourage you to read it on your own this week as well. But it's going to kind of guide us for the rest of our talk. This book is written to Christians and really kind of the context of it, there's a lot of false teaching going on in this time 
And so it led to bad living. False teaching leads to bad living. And so uh, people talked like Christians. They attended church. But the question was, are they really following Jesus? Are they really followers of Jesus? So what are the distinguishing marks of a follower of Jesus? So let's pick up in First uh, John chapter 4, verse 16. If you're there, say, let's go. <laughs> it says this in verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. That's important. God doesn't just love. He actually is love. It's who he is. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. What that means is on the day of judgment, on the day that God judges everyone, when he looks at you, if you have the love of God in you, if you have received his love, then we are like Jesus, which means when he looks at Jesus, he sees a perfect righteous son. So when he looks at you, if you have received that, he sees his perfect righteous son. Verse 18, let's continue. It says, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And so if you don't view God in the right way and you don't view him as love, you will view him in such a way where he judges you and he punishes you. But perfect love casts out all fear of punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then it kind of turns, switches gears a little bit, and it begins to talk about how we love others in verse 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Wow. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. John is saying, you want to know who a follower of Jesus is? He or she is the one who is not governed and guided by fear. They are the ones who allow the love of God to triumph over fear inside of them. They allow love to triumph over fear. Love is a primary characteristic of a follower of Jesus. This is nothing new. If you read the story of Jesus, if you read uh, really in Matthew, Jesus talks about love. He talks about the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And this says to love your neighbor. And then also if you pick up in, in uh, the book of John, he says this remarkable statement. He says, people will know that you are my follower, that you are my disciple by the way that you love others. That's a weighty statement, that people will know that you're a follower of Jesus by the way that you love others. So the vision of Jesus is that his followers would be like a light in a dark place. They'd be light in darkness. And one of the ways that they would be a light is that they would, in a world filled with people driven by fear, they would not be driven by fear, but they would be driven and guided by love. They would be different from the rest of the world because they would not be driven by fear, but they would be driven 
by love and empowered by the Holy Spirit to love others. I want to challenge you tonight as you're in progress to bring fear under the authority of love. I want to challenge you in your life, maybe in this next season of life, the next few months that we have left in this year, to bring your own fear under the authority of love. And I want to talk a few ways tonight of how we can do that. And the first way, I want to talk about how we love people. Now, obviously, loving people is something that we talk about a lot in church. We believe it's kind of our MO because if people are going to know that we're a follower of Jesus by how we love, then it's important that, how, that we love people, right? But what exactly does that look like, and what are some of the barriers that come into play when we talk about loving people? So number one, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you tonight to love people fearlessly. To love people fearlessly. Let me give you kind of three marks of fearless love. I hate to go, you know, to point pastor, the guy that just gives a bunch of points, but I think it may uh, help guide our talk tonight. So y'all okay with that? I don't feel too loved. Are y'all okay with that? <laughs> By the way, I'm a little bit nervous about this shirt because I'm assuming that these other languages say Reebok. But uh, I have no idea. So if you read one of these languages, please let me know. I'm hoping it's not like the F word or something. <laughs> but I, I genuinely have no idea what it's saying. So let me know after service if, if you have any idea. And let's hope that's not the case. Three marks of fearless love. Fearless love risk vulnerability. I think this is so important. Being vulnerable is a fear, isn't it? It's a fear that we all have, but fearless love risks vulnerability. Did you know that love is always a risk? Always a risk. If you're going to love people around you, if you're going to love someone romantically, it's always, always a risk. When you open yourself up to love in a friendship way or in a romantic way, you open yourself up to be wounded. You open yourself to the opportunity of being used, of being hurt. It's just a fact. You open yourself up to that. So if your inner world is full of fear, then you won't risk it. You will not risk being vulnerable if you're full of fear. And my fear for you guys and for us is that if we're full of fear, then we won't be vulnerable, then we will never fully understand what it means to love fully or to be loved fully. You can't risk it. If you're full of fear, then you, you can't risk the vulnerability that it takes to love because you're so fearful that someone's going to let you down. You're fearful that they'll stab you in the back. And so you live guarded and you live with stiff-arming people from getting too close to you because you don't want to risk and you don't want to be vulnerable. Some of you haven't, some of you have been taken advantage of by someone, maybe, maybe somebody in a relationship that you loved and you felt like they loved you and then it went downhill and they stabbed you in the back or they did something to go against that love that you shared. And now you're putting up walls to keep people from loving you or from loving others because you don't want to experience that again. Some of you have felt that not just maybe from a, a relationship stance, like in a romantic way, maybe you felt that from a parent. 
Maybe you opened yourself up to be loved by a parent and you loved a parent, but then they mistreated you or they misguided you or they stabbed you in the back or they did something to misuse your trust. And now you are putting up walls between people because you don't want to risk it again. Can I just encourage you tonight that love always takes vulnerability and it's always a risk. And I completely understand if you're a little bit fearful because you've been hurt. But can I just encourage you that you will never be able to fully love if much of your heart is darkened by fear. You can never fully give your heart to someone if it's darkened by fear. And let me just encourage you that God wants to take you on a journey of healing you from wherever you have been hurt in the past in those areas so that you can then fully love the way that he has called you to love. So don't give up on it. And don't let your past, maybe past downfall, your past however that has worked out for you, keep you from risking it to love again. Because if you never, think about this, if you never open up to be fully loved or to fully love, how much of life are you missing? That sucks for you. That sucks for you and it sucks for the people that God's calling you to love because they never get all of your love. You're missing out on the joy and the commandment of love because you're afraid someone else will mismanage the opportunity of love. Don't miss out on the joy and the commandment of love because you're afraid someone will mismanage the opportunity of it. I want to read you a quote that I read by a guy named C.S. Lewis. He says this. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. So my prayer for you and the prayer that I would encourage you to pray as well is this. God, I trust that you, that you will bring me joy from obeying your commandment to love. And it is much greater than the pain that I might experience from being hurt. And I trust that if I do get hurt, that you will be gracious and kind enough to heal me. Don't miss out on the opportunity to love because you're afraid to risk. The second thing I would say is this, that fearless love acts with compassion. Fearless love acts with compassion. You know, love is a verb. Love is an action word. It's not a feeling that you have. It is an action word. So it's good to feel compassionate, but it can't stop there. Just feeling compassionate towards somebody or about something does not really do any good, does it? Love is an action word. It requires action to your compassion. So according to God, you actually have to act with compassion to be compassionate. Obviously, you guys can think of anything that, that this would be. Maybe it's serving someone in your neighborhood. Maybe it's uh, finding somebody here on a Thursday night who is new and doesn't know a lot of people. 
and you having compassion on them and walking up to them and being their friend, it can, compassion can look like a ton of different things. You guys can think through what they are. But compassion, love, fearless love must act with compassion. In a world of indifference, compassion gets involved. In a world of indifference, compassion gets involved. One of the ways I want to help us get involved with compassion, if you're around 12th Son, you know that we're gathering around this statement, live sent, right? You guys have heard live sent, where we believe that the, the calling on our life is to live outside of these, these walls, is to live sent, is to be a follower of Jesus to people outside of these walls. And what that looks like is loving people and being compassionate to people. And so uh, if you go to 12th Son, one of the things that you just heard this past Sunday is that on October 7th, it's a Sunday, October 7th, coming up in a few weeks, we're doing what we're calling a Live Sent Day. And this is a huge, I've been, I've been a part of 12 so now for uh, almost five years, and we've never done this. We are canceling all of our Sunday morning services, and we're telling people to get out in the community and serve people. Go be a part of a nonprofit somewhere. Go feed the homeless. Go, go do something. Go do something in the community. Love people and live sent. Is that not phenomenal? So we're canceling all Sunday morning services, and we're doing that. So we got together. We started thinking, well, how can our college students that come on Thursday nights, how can we be involved in that? So we have a special opportunity. We're going to get something together just for us, and here's what we're going to do. On that Sunday from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, we're going to gather, and we're going to have an opportunity here right in this room, and we're going to gather bags and help fill bags to deliver to some homeless people in our community. And so we'll have everything set up here. We'll have resources and all that kind of stuff, but we need people to come in and pack these bags so that we can then send them out, and it's going to be an incredible resource for some uh, organizations in our community for us to be a part of that. So that's an opportunity that we've created for you guys to live with compassion and to be a part of that. Now, obviously, you don't have to do that. You can go do something else, jump into any other opportunity out in the community. But we want you guys to have something so that you can begin to not just feel compassionate, but to act with compassion. Because fearless love acts with compassion. It doesn't say stagnant. It doesn't just feel it. It actually acts. And so I'd encourage you, if, uh, if you want to get involved with that, you can show up here. It doesn't matter if you don't go to 12 Stone on Sundays. Don't worry about it. Just come. But I will say this. This is not for uh, your parents and your grandparents and your little brother and little sister. This is for you guys. This is a special thing that we've created just for you. So show up uh, on October 7th from 1 to 3. Is that going to be cool? Can we just get excited about that? I think it's going to be really cool. So uh, you do need to sign up. Let us know. That way we know how many people are coming and uh, what we can do. So I believe it was uh, 12.com slash C12serve, and it's going to be a cool opportunity. But listen, it's impossible for you to get involved in every compassionate opportunity in the world. There's tons of things that you could do. It's impossible for you to do it all. So my encouragement to you would be this. You will have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to ask when he is drawing you to be compassionate to somebody, when he's asking you to talk to someone that you don't know, when he's asking you to serve somebody, when he's asking you to maybe pay for somebody's breakfast or whatever, you'll have to be sensitive. We love doing events and things like this where we make it real easy for you to jump into because it, it uh, kind of instills a habit in you of what it looks like to be compassionate. But the reality is the Holy Spirit will convict you and give you moments where you need to respond to compassion 
in the moment when there's nobody else around, there's not all C12 going to jump in and be a part of it. You got to respond to it yourself. Third thing I would say is this. Fearless love rises above reciprocation. Rises above reciprocation. Reciprocation is this idea that I must stand up for myself and I must get what I deserve. If, if you're around me, you know this is something that I talk about a lot because it's deep in my soul that this is one of the ways that we stand uh, opposed to the rest of the world. This is one of the ways that Christians, those who are followers of Jesus, stand out because we don't live by this worldly thinking of, I got to have the last word. I got to stand up for myself. I got to get what I deserve. If someone's good to me, then I'll be good to them. If someone respects me, then I'll respect them. If someone wrongs me, then I'm going to wrong them. This is the law of reciprocation, and it is nowhere in the calling of a believer. Nowhere. If someone treats me good, then that I guess I'll treat them. No, 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 no. If someone respects me, then I'll respect them. No, no, no. Respect, kindness, love, those are given freely. You don't have to earn them. Now, listen to me. I do believe trust is earned. Trust is earned. But the law of reciprocation is nowhere in the calling of a believer. Your calling is to love freely, fearlessly, fully out there. Not because it's going to be returned to you, but because you have first been loved by him. This operational system of the world, the law of reciprocation, is absolutely destroying our country. And it will continue to destroy us unless followers of Jesus really take up what it means to love fearlessly and to abandon this idea of reciprocation. Here's a question for you. What good have I done if I've won an argument, but I've lost the person I was arguing with? What good have I done if I've won an argument about God is real, but I did it in such a way where now the person doesn't even want to be around me or, or doesn't even trust people who believe in God because they actually don't look any different. They're filled with just as much hate. Can I just make a statement? Facebook arguments are the most ineffective form of debate that we've ever seen. Let's move on. Reciprocation. Here's what the Lord is just telling me. Reciprocation, he's been teaching me this, in my heart comes from a fear that someone else will get the last word. And it's something in me that says, I got to have it. I got to have it. And yet he's been showing me that when Jesus taught us to love our enemies, he was saying, Austin, I have the final word. I have the final word. Your job is to love. Let me have the final word. In Matthew chapter 5, it says this. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, this is Jesus, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? That's easy. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? He's saying everyone does this. This does not distinguish you as a follower of Jesus. Even the pagans do that. But he says, love your enemies. 
You're never more like Jesus than when you love someone who doesn't deserve it. Because that's what he did to you. So the question is this. Love and fear are both contagious. Which one are you spreading? Love and fear are both contagious. Which one's coming out of you? I hope and pray that you will learn to love people and love those around you that God's put in your path fearlessly. The second thing I want to encourage you with is this. I want to encourage you to commit to fighting your internal fears. If followers of Jesus are ruled, guided by love, not fear, then we have the responsibility to fight against our internal fears. If I were to go around the room and just say, what are the fears in our lives? What are the, what are the things that you are most fearful of? we get all kinds of responses, wouldn't we? Probably similar, but we get a bunch of different responses. Fear of the future, amen? Fear of... What am I going to do with my life, career? Fear of, am I going to be financially stable? What am I going to do with this college debt? Someone to say amen. amen. Fear of, am I going to be alone the rest of my life? Or how much longer will I be alone? Fear of sickness. Fear of the political climate in our country. The Report Magazine article it's an article I read. It says this, that ordinary children today are more fearful than psychiatric patients were in 1950. Ordinary children today are more fearful than psych patients were in 1950. Essentially, we're all a bunch of psychos. That's crazy, though. Fear completely grips us. It has a way of gripping our lives. It's a bigger deal than we think it is, and it gets manifested differently. Here's some of the ways that I believe fear gets manifested in our lives. Dread, worry, stress, depression, anxiety, loneliness. These are all oftentimes, not all the time, oftentimes a result of fear. Fear in your life. You say, no, Austin, the reason that I'm stressed is because I have a big job interview and I'm just anxious about it because it's coming up soon and all this stuff. I said, okay, well, let's just think about it then and, and bring it down. Why is this job interview such a big deal for you? Well, because it has the potential to kind of starting my career and has the potential of, of giving me a paycheck and I can begin to live a life that I've dreamed of and all this kind of stuff. Okay, so if we break that down and bring it back a little bit, you're fearful that God can't bring you another opportunity? You're fearful that God can't provide for you? So the stress and anxiety that comes from many of the things in our life are a result of fear that grips us. It's a fear of, I don't know what my future holds. I don't know what, if there will be another opportunity. I don't know if someone else is going to call me. I don't know if I'll get another interview. It's a fear that grips us, and fear manifests itself in all of these different areas. Say, Austin, I'm stressed, I'm anxious about being single. I just, 
All my friends are getting married. All my friends have boyfriend, girlfriends. They're going out. And it's just me alone. And I'm just anxious about it. And I said, okay, well, let's think through it. What, what about the thought of you being single another five years scares you so much? Well, if I'm single in five years, you know, then I'm 30 years old or whatever, and I just... You know, who's going to want to marry a 30-year-old? Or what if there's no one left? What if all the men or women in the world are taken by then? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's fear. It's fear. It's fear that God can't take care of you. It's fear that God doesn't have a plan for your life. It's fear that God can't bring the right person. It's fear that his timing isn't better than your timing. It's fear, and it manifests itself in all these different ways. Some people are so fearful that others won't like them that they build massive insecurities that completely govern their life. Some people are so fearful that they'll have a crappy marriage like their parents so they never love anyone and instead just sleep with a bunch of people. I'll just kind of get the feeling of love but never truly love because I'm so fearful that it may lead to something that I've seen in my life. Some people are so fearful that they'll fail at something so they never attempt to do anything out of the ordinary. Some people are so fearful that God is angry at them because of their sins so they just live in spiritual chains rather than a life of freedom. But perfect love casts out all fear sucks. It sucks the potential out of your gifting. It sucks the happiness out of your joy. It sucks the joy from your relationships. It sucks the adventure out of your relationship with God. Fear takes all great things from your life. Nothing good comes from it. No one has ever said, my fears put such a pep in my step. No one's ever said, I'd be a rotten person if it wasn't for my hypochondria. <laughs> no one said, thank God for my paranoia. No one's ever said, my doctor says I'm in great health because of my anxiety. No one's ever said that about fear. Fear sucks the life out of you. And people are so full of fear that they're guided by their fear rather than guided by God. And you know what happens? Fear becomes their God. If you find yourself more guided by fear than God himself, then fear becomes your God. And you know what name we give to people who are ruled by fear? They're called cowards. And God wants to crush your fear. God has not called you to be a coward, ruled by fear. He's called you to be a mighty warrior who lives victoriously and fearlessly, completely saturated in his love. So how are you going to do that? Let me give you a few things. I'll wrap up here. I know your butt's getting tired. Number one, let me encourage you to refuse to allow fear to become your shell. Don't let fear become your shell. We live in a world where we allow fears to define us. Someone's spoken something over you or he, said, he or she said something about you a certain way and it becomes this shell that you live in and it becomes who you are. It's a fear and it just completely grips you. Someone may have told you that you're dumb 
and you'll never be smart enough to graduate from college, and so you live in a fear that you'll never make anything out of your life. Someone may have told you that you're going to end up just like your dad and have failed marriages and not be loving, and so you live in fear of loving people because of that. Someone may have told you whatever, a bunch of different things, but I want you to know tonight that God has not called you to walk in fear. He's not called you to live in a shell of defeat, fearful of becoming what other people have said about you. But meanwhile, we live in a society that wants to define you by your fears. Let me give you a few examples. <laughs> the fear of noise. You know what it's called? Fear of noise. Acousticophobia. It's an actual fear. Fear of crossing the street is an actual fear. It's called agoraphobia. Did you know that there's a fear of hair? Does anybody have that? A fear of hair. Ch I don't know. I think it's chetophobia. A fear of happiness. Cherophobia. Fear of happiness? Really? Cherophobia. There's a fear of balloons. Globophobia. <laughs> if it's a clown carrying a balloon, that's another thing. <laughs> There's a fear of long words. It's the longest word ever written. It's like hippopotam. Look it up. It's a fear of long words. It's an actual thing. So rather than telling people that perfect love casts out all fear, we would rather just diagnose them with a condition and then try and medicate it. And so we tell that there's fears. There's all different kinds of fears. And everybody has a fear. And, oh, you have a fear of balloons? Okay, well, that's called this. And we are okay with people living completely like in chains to their fear. What if you could be set free from your fear? Followers of Jesus, the scriptures tell us, live in complete love and it casts out all fear. I'm not saying it's not something that we struggle with, it's something we battle, but I'm saying it doesn't have to be something that defines you, that keeps you bound. You can live free, free from your fears. You have every right to believe that fear has no place in your life. Every right. Our God has conquered death and sin and defeated Satan. Therefore, we do not have to live in a shell of our fear that prevents us from accomplishing his purpose. You may be shy, but our God is bold. Get out of that shell. You may be wounded, but our God is a healer. Get out of that shell. Don't live in a shell of fear. God's called you to get out of it. Get out of it. And then lastly, I want to encourage you with this. Embrace anchors in the midst of pressure. Embrace anchors in the midst of pressure. My man playing the keys, is it Dylan? Did I get that right? All right, you can come up. This is his first time, first time here. First time playing keys. I wanted to make sure I got your name right, man. Lay something down pretty for me. I want to encourage you to embrace anchors in the midst of pressure. If you read in 2 Corinthians, I don't have time to read it right now, but read 2 Corinthians, read the life of Paul and the different pressures that he faced. We're not done yet. Keep taking notes. I got some stuff coming for you. If you read the life of Paul, the different pressures that he faced, he had this incredible ability to stay in the midst of pressure without letting it crush him. 
And I just want to give you some real practical advice tonight that you will never be able to get rid of pressure in your life completely. You need to understand that. You're never going to be able to get rid of all pressure in your life. It will always exist, no matter what your bank account says, no matter what your relationship status is, no matter what your career path is. Pressure will always exist in your life. We all have it. Family pressure, financial pressure, career pressure, the pace of life pressure, time management pressure, soul level pressure, relationship pressure. Anybody have pressures in your life? We all have pressures, and you don't ever escape pressure you just encounter different pressures so right now some of you have the pressure of homework and you're like looking at your clock right now going all right Austin, i gotta get home got some homework i got pressure right you have pressure of homework you got deadlines you gotta meet you got pressures of like dating relationships and is this the right one is this not the right one those kind of pressures i got good news i don't have those pressures i'm done with those pressures I don't have homework. I don't have dating relationships, right? Your pressures are not my pressures, but how many of you in the room uh, have a wife at home and a two-year-old little boy and one on the way and you're leading that and that's your pressure is you're leading that kind of family and you got a mortgage to pay and you got responsibilities like that. I may be the only one in the room, right? So my pressure is different than your pressure. You don't ever get to escape pressure. You just get to move on to new pressures. That's exciting news, right? No, it's not. There will always be pressure in your life. So here's the key that will change your life and your leadership. Let me give you a big thought. Learn to live under increased pressure without increased stress. You've gotta learn to live under increased pressure without increased stress. They're two separate things. And it's possible that pressure can go up in your life and stress doesn't have to go up with it. Pressure is external. Things that are coming at me, stuff around me. Stress is internal. So pressures outside of me can go up, but stress can stay flat. It's possible, it's just not easy. I'll give you an example maybe for those of you that have jobs. You got a job, you're at work, I mean, one day you'll have a job, you're at work, you got deadlines, you got goals to meet, you got responsibilities, and your, your ability to manage them and to do them well, to get them done, is directly related to how much pressure you can handle. And so you may get increased pressure from a job in your life, but it doesn't have to increase stress in your life. And so you get a bunch of stuff piled on you and it may increase pressure, but it doesn't have to increase stress. But your ability to keep stress low will allow you to carry more pressure. Now, here's the thing. Just giving you some practical advice here for your work. The moment you tell your boss, I got too much pressure, it's affecting me too much, I can't handle it, all this kind of stuff, that's because stress has risen with your pressure is the moment you ask him to, or him or her, to remove responsibility from you. And think about that. Do you really want your boss to remove responsibility from you and to relieve you of pressure? I don't think you do, because what that means is I may just go find someone else who can carry a little bit more pressure than you. 
So what you need to learn is to carry more pressure while keeping stress low, right? So how do you do it is the question. Here's, here's, here's what I want to encourage you with. This is spiritual. Embrace anchors. You must embrace and build anchors in your life. Here's what an anchor is. An anchor is something that you hold on to. An anchor is something that you grip onto and you do not let go of it. And what it allows you to do is the winds and the waves and the storms of life can crash around you externally, but I can be anchored to something. I'm anchored. And no matter what happens out here, the storms of life can crash, but I have an anchor. I have something to hold on to where I don't have to go with it the anchors. I don't know what your anchors are, but let me offer a few that may help you, that have helped me. An anchor of hope. John 16 verse 33 says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. This is Jesus talking. He says that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome this world. What does that mean? This world can defeat you. It cannot defeat you. This world can't defeat you because it has already been defeated. He says that I have overcome this world. I have defeated this world. It can't defeat you because it's already been defeated. Every plan, scheme of the enemy must ultimately bow to the person of Jesus. The darkness trembles at the name of Jesus. We sang it. I have a hope. I have an anchor of hope. He's carried me through in the past and he's going to carry me through this and he's going to carry me through the future. It's an anchor of hope. Let me give you another anchor. An anchor of care. In 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7 it says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Did you know this, that God is more careful with you than you are with yourself? I find great comfort in knowing that. God is more careful with me than I am even with myself. I can trust that. I can anchor myself to that. That's an anchor in my life, an anchor of presence. He will never leave me or forsake me. I am promised his presence in my life. So here's the truth. When you don't have anchors, storms crash around you and you end up crashing with them. But an anchor gives you something to hold on to. So to close it up, a follower of Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus is the question. If you are, A follower of Jesus is obsessed with letting love rule over fear in their heart and in their relationship with others. Love rules over fear and how I treat people and how I love people around me and how I live my own life without fear. It rules supreme. So the question is this, how are you doing? How are you doing with this fear thing? 
Is fear keeping you from living a life of love that a follower of Jesus lives? Keeping you from loving people the way he's called you to live? Is it keeping you from experiencing the life that he's called you to because you're so gripped by it in your own heart? And you can't experience the abundant life that he offers? And so I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray tonight that you would experience a freedom from fear. That however fear has a grip on you, that you would learn to love fearlessly, and that you would learn to live a life free from fear. And that you would build anchors. So let's pray together. Father, fear is a real thing. And in each person in this room, fear is manifested differently, comes out differently, is gripping hearts differently. But Lord, you've called us to more. You've called us to something different. You said that your followers would be known by their love. You said that they would be known by how they live without fear. And so, Lord, for those in the room who would desire to follow you more fully, would you begin to break the chains of fear in their life? Lord, would you reveal to them where fear has a grip on them? And, Lord, would you begin to show them a life free from that? Lord, break those chains. Set them free from it. And Lord, I do pray that you would also flood them with an overwhelming sense of your love for them. And Lord, would you display it on the cross? God, would you put that in the forefront of their mind and how you proved their worth, you proved their value, you proved how much you love them. You didn't just say it, but you showed it. Lord, would you make it so evident to them so clear to them and may they bathe in your love and Lord would it not just stop there I pray that it would change how they love the people around them Lord that they would love fearlessly Lord build us into a group of people of love Lord of people who are not satisfied with just winning arguments but of people who want to win hearts who want to be used by you to capture the hearts of people. Capture the hearts of others to experience your love. Lord, make us into that group. Make us into that community. Father, change us from the inside out, we pray. Lord, show us where we need more love in us and more love coming through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.